0: When I first graduated college, my first job out of college, do you all remember your first job out of college? Yeah? Kind of an interesting deal. Mine was a little unique, for me at least, in my mind, it was I worked at a school for troubled kids. It was a residential treatment facility in northeast Pennsylvania called St. Michael's School, affectionately called St. Mike's, and my job was as what they called the Therapeutic Activities Coordinator which is a really cool way of describing the guy whose job it is to keep them busy when they're done with school, because they lived there 24-7. When they're done with school, keep them busy enough that they don't kill each other. That was my job, fresh out of uh, college. And so uh, about a hundred residents uh, between the age of 11 and 17, all boys, uh, and all you know, hyper and all coming out of you know, the inner city, Philadelphia, Allentown, that whole area up in Northeast Pennsylvania. It was interesting interesting two years of my life. And uh, so one of the ways that, as you can imagine, the common language in that demographic is going to be sports. That's one of the ways you're going to keep them busy, right? Uh, And so uh, I learned real fast how to run basketball tournaments between the dorms. So they were all about basketball. This was back in the days of and one, no fear, all that stuff. You guys remember this? right? And the and-one approach to basketball, much, uh, much opposed to the Hoosiers, uh, and, and, and that whole movie, that whole movement was the one guy, the singular individual who was awesome with all the ball handling skills and, and doing all these amazing things by himself. Limelight's on him, and he is just single-handedly, you know, getting past 35 different defenders to finish with the amazing dunk, right? That's their whole approach and mentality around basketball, uh, and I got to tell you, we had some kids with some serious talent at this school, as you can imagine. Uh, they're adjudicated. They had to be there, so we didn't have to go recruit or anything. They were just there. Uh, some, some, some killer basketball skills. And so we would watch these tournaments and you know, put these tournaments together, and some amazing stuff would happen. Amazing stuff. And so we, we did this for a while, and we figured out that, you know, I'll bet you we could put together a decent team and just mop the floor with these lily-white country bumpkin high school basketball teams, right? I wonder what would happen if we tried that. So we did. We actually got in touch with you know sports, uh, the, sport, the, uh, the teams, the athletic directors of some of these local schools, and they're like, yeah, sure, we'll do it. It's like those movies you've seen where the, the, the standard team gets marched into a prison or something like that to play uh, the prison team. Our, our facility was not quite a prison. Uh, but you, you could see that fear in these... In these Kids' eyes as they're walking in, seeing this like six foot three freshman uh, and, and just wondering how, what, what in the world's about to happen to them. Are they gonna get shivved? You know, all that fun stuff. Uh, and only one kid did. It was fine. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and, and so, yeah, we, we get to game one. We, we bring in a coach. One of the staffers had a history in doing basketball coaching. So, so we bring in a coach and, and we, we do a bunch of practices. We get to the first game and uh, we're all pretty confident. I mean, frankly. Uh, the town we were playing was called Tonkanic. I mean, that just doesn't sound like a basketball town to me. Uh, and they, they come marching in, and you want to know what happened? Can you guess what happened? We got crushed. Like, just crushed. Embarrassed. We were shocked. The kids were shocked. The coach was shocked. We were shocked. You know, and, and so it's that, it's that whole, it's kind of like Michigan's football season this season. Uh, I'm a Michigan fan. You know, they came in number seven, they are not number seven, because all the hype, didn't. You know, we, we didn't live up to it. And so we <laughs> stepped back from that and, and did some evaluation with these students, and what we started to realize was, hey, guess what? When you take and one basketball, a bunch of individual kids who, their whole genetic kind of framework, the whole way that they're thinking, the way they were born and raised, the way that they consumed their concept of this activity of basketball was about the individual being awesome, when you take that and you put it against a disciplined team that understands strategy, that understands the concept of team, that understands that the whole is better than the one, that understands personal sacrifice, that understands that the limelight kills the team, guess who wins every single time? So as we march through the season, we're trying to help these kids understand some things that they just we just had the hardest time breaking into them, and they just kept losing and losing and losing why do i bring that up because we're in ephesians four gents and we're shifting from chapters one through three that talk all about uh... what it is that God has done in our hearts and in our lives how he has pushed into our lives some some, some big ideas that, that are hard to get our heads around about how we're loved and how we're how in Christ everything is different and how uh, um, if I can wrap my head around heart around these things it changes the way I look at my world changes the way that I feel about my world and it changes the way I move into and around and through my world we've been consuming that for some time well now he's getting to the what what do we do with this how does that translate how does that work and, and what you're going to see is as you, as you look look through your notes, you're going to see that there's a lot that we need to talk about when it comes to shifting from that individual and one perspective in life. If you're like me, I'm a guy who's going to move through my world. And the whole concept of my world is for me as an individual to survive, to thrive, to win. That's a, there's a huge shift that Paul's, you, you can feel it, right? If you've read the chapter coming at you, there's a huge shift that he's describing in chapter four to this, to this body mentality. So we're going to move from, from, from truth, theology, the way I need to understand my relationship to Christ, to, to doing, to activity, to application for the rest of the book. And, and it's going to really pick away at this whole idea that you have had all along of that, that your life is about you, individually thriving, and it's going to completely shift your perspective if you run with it. Does that make sense? You ready to go with me into chapter 4? All right. Because that'll help you kind of understand what he's up to when he does what he does, when he says what he says in chapter four. Uh, the way I want to break down chapter four for you uh, is very much the way it is in your notes. You'll see there's, there's two movements in your notes, right? It says uh, we, we walk in, in unity and we walk in what? Holiness. Well, I'm gonna, we're going to jump in to the walking in unity and each of those sections I'm going to kind of break down a little bit more for you and we're going to just motor through and I'm going to try to help you understand what he's doing as he moves through this chapter so all along again in review we've been talking we've been saying over and over again that that belief drives behavior your belief drives your behavior and what I'm trying to help you understand with St. Mike's and with me and with you is that the way you the way you see your world what you believe drives the way you relate to your world and just because you change uh, uh, the application, just because you move out of a, I'm going to be a, uh, my, my pre-Christ life to my pro- post-Christ life. <laughs> that's hard to say fast. Pre-Christ life to post-Christ life doesn't mean that anything really changes in you unless, unless God brings about some, some shifts in the way that you approach life. And that's what chapter four is really going to unpack and help you see, okay? So chapter four, let's dive in. Walk in unity. The way I would break that down is into two parts, right? Well, verses uh, 1 through 13, verses 14 through 16. Walk in unity. And when we talk about walk in unity, what I think Paul's doing here is he's giving us the what. He, he gave us a whole bunch of truth, and, and now we're moving into application, so he's going to give us a strategy. In, in St. Mike's terms, we get, we get destroyed on the basketball court, and the coach comes back to the team, and he says, all right, guys, there's this thing called strategy, There's, this is a basketball. This is a court. This is a team. This is a play, right? He's giving them the what, the the approach, the the big picture for how to approach this shift from and one basketball to team sport basketball. And that's, I think, what Paul's doing here in the first half of the chapter with the what. He's saying, all right, this is the framework within which you need to see your world. Wherever you're coming from, and for most of us, if you're like me, you're coming from this individualist kind of perspective uh, 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 into your world. He's going to try to get you to shift to a totally different perspective. And that's why he immediately dives into this conversation about the church at large, about how we're all coming from these individual spaces. And that's what he's been picking away at this whole time in Ephesians, right? Jew, Gentile, uh, 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 bringing them together. Coming, you're coming at this from all these different perspectives. Let me just help you understand that you as an individual, we all come together and we have these things in common, right? What's the most repeated word in this, in this section? One, 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 one. One faith, one hope, one baptism. He's, he's trying to help these guys come together and recognize the, the, what we, we all have this stuff in common. We have chapters one through three in common. And, and he's trying to help you understand that you're part of a larger body. And so that's why he moves into this conversation about gifts, spiritual gifts. There's this ubiquitous section where he talks about how Christ came down and then arose again, and then rose again, and gave gifts to men. Was anyone else a little confused by that initially? Like, what's that doing in here? How does that work? I'll unpack that for you really quickly. What, what he's, talk, he's using, he's quoting a psalm, and he's using sort of a military analogy. He's saying, "Hey guys, all of you individuals have come together in one body, and and that's because Christ, of what Christ did when he came down to earth." He's kind of reviewing chapter two. He came to earth, he descended, and he he wrecked shop. He destroyed his enemies. He destroyed death, Satan, sin, right? He, 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 he led them captive. That's what ancient victors used to do. If you were an ancient general and you invaded the city, you would go in, you'd wreck shop, and you would take captive these key individuals, and you would lead them captive home and show them off to your, to your, to your city. And, and you would also take a lot of plunder. That's one of the major motivations of conquering back then, right? You would take all this plunder, and what you would do with that plunder when you came home is you would distribute the gifts to your people. And so that's the image he's using. Jesus came, he, he, he saw, he conquered, he led captive sin and death and Satan, and he brought gifts back, and he's distributing gifts. And so he's talking about this, this Lord that has pulled us all together from wherever you're coming from, You know, whether you work at McDonald's or in a C-suite, whether you're black or white, man or woman, whatever, wherever you're coming from, this Christ came into our world, conquered our fundamental issue that we all have in common and gave us this common unity in him. And now what he does, where he wants us to go with that thought is that he's now giving us each individual gifts. He's giving us, he's empowering us with gifts. And so if you're looking at verses 4 through 13, that's the key word I would want you to understand is power. Our gifts are for growth. That's the idea here. So he's taking us from this, this group mentality to now, what is my role in the group? What's the strategy here? Guess what? You're now on a team. Your life, you, it's no longer okay for you as a Christian to think about your life as simply your day, your outcomes, how you're going to experience your day and what you're going to get out of this day. That's no longer relevant for a Christian the way you think, the way a believer thinks about themselves, there is no more and one Christianity. There's no more and one life for you. Not in Christ. There is only the team, the team, the team. You get it? Forgive the Michigan analogy, but it'll just keep coming, right? Those who stay will be champions. The team, the team, the team. That is your new world. That's the strategy. That's the big picture, And you need to get your head wrapped around that because the next move he makes here is he says, as he scopes from this big idea, he's gonna keep doing this through the whole chapter, scoping it down into the more specific practical realities for you. The next move in your head you gotta make is what is your relationship to the team? Your relationship to the team is that he has gifted each of us, he's empowered each of us to, to minister to the team, to help the team grow, to help the body of Christ in this world develop and grow until we all become a mature man. Not mature men, mind you a mature man. We are each part of the same entity. If you, if you read the verse in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, till we all attain to a mature man, as you individually becoming a mature man, you read it off. He's talking about the whole, the body of Christ maturing as an entity. And that doesn't happen if each of us doesn't activate our role within that entity, understand and activate our role, our service, the way God has built you and empowered you to minister to the whole. So move number one, move and one off the table, you're part of a team. Move number two, understand that your relationship to that team, the question you need to ask yourself is, what is my gifting? What has God given me to give and offer to the team, to the body of Christ, to help it grow, to become more like him? You tracking with me so far? And that's what I want to push on you, more than anything this morning. If we don't get any further, I want you to at least hear this. That's why we're here. That's why uh, that's what Watermark is so focused on as a church. That's what men's equipping within Watermark Plano is so intensely focused on as a church. We're trying to help you. We're trying to discover faithful, available, teachable men. Who understand chapters one through three, who are driven into one through three, who wanna process chapters one through three and live that out based on what Paul's describing here in chapter four. Recognizing I'm a part of what God is doing in this world, and, I'm, and that, that boils down to being a part of what God is doing in the church, which boils down to what, being a part of what God's doing at Watermark. What's my role here? How do I build into this? And so we wanna discover faithful, available, and teachable men, and we wanna we want to basically develop those men. We want to help you understand and determine what are my gifts. That's what page 37 is all about in your book. Understanding that Venn diagram, right? Where your passions, your gifting, and your availability connect. That's your sweet spot. And so we want to create a space within which you can have that conversation and understand "How how do I leverage what God has made me to be in this team, in this body, and move the work of Christ forward right here in this room, in my office, uh, on Sundays, wherever it is that I'm called and built to serve. And, and that'll look like a lot of different things. It's as, it's as diverse as this room is. And then we want to deploy you. We want to help get you active wherever you're built, whatever you're built for. If, if we don't have a way for you to do that yet, let's create a way for you to do that. Why don't you help us create a way for you to do that? Like, let's get busy. Let's get activating you. There's no such thing as a healthy believer who has not been discovered, developed, and deployed. That's, that's the idea. What's your role? Maybe you're a power forward. Maybe you, maybe you play defense, right? Maybe, maybe you're six, the, the, the six foot three dude who, who needs to be under the basket. I don't know. I don't know where you fit, but we want to help you have that conversation because we believe that that is God's next move for you to understand that you're part of this body and then to understand that you are a vital part of this body and activate that. So that's gifting. But then what he does, he's going to continue to scope this chapter in. He's going to move to the next portion and he's going to move to the next set of verses. And that's where he's going to start talking about proximity And and it's a little bit, you know, it's it's not the simplest thing to grab or the easiest thing to grab. But I want to help you to see just two repeated words in in verses fourteen to sixteen. Two repeated phrases. you see him say "in love" twice? He's gonna he said it a bunch in chapter one. He's gonna keep saying it. But I but. What I want you to understand about Ch- what, what he's doing with this is he's, as he scopes it in is, is he's helping you understand that it's really easy to kind of stay up in strategy, stay up in these big, big conversations about gifting and, and keep it out here. But there's no way to escape, and he won't let you escape. What he's going to do is he's going to grab your head and keep pushing it down to the fact that you don't get to avoid people. The way this works out is, the, is you've got to think, the way you work out your gifting, the way you work out your, your relationship to the body of Christ, there's no way to, to keep that... Um, um, strategic and away from, from you, you've got to get close to people to the point where you are speaking the truth or truthing in love with other people, helping individual people grow. What it means to be on the team, what it means to be a part of Christ's body is that you don't get to escape the need for you to develop your skill, your ability, your endurance to get next to people and love them. In to such a degree that it is a challenge. And you don't, there's no, there's no if-then here. There's no filter for getting to decide who you get next to. Unless you see that in the text, maybe you're reading a different version than I have. But the version I'm reading, it, it's, it includes everyone. There's no exception. Paul's vision for you is that you be the kind of person, the kind of teammate who can play off of and with and engage with anybody the Lord puts in front of you in love, self-sacrificing, asking and answering the question, what does this person need to take one step closer to Christ, whether they rub me the wrong way or not? And so I don't get to ask, hey, what are my gifts, and then leave it there. What he's going to do, is going to say, hey, activate, understand, deploy in your gifts, and now he's going to pull you down into the fact that there's no way to grow people without getting next to them. That's why we say here all the time that that discipleship and growth does not happen in rows. It happens in circles. You've got to get to the point, and he's going to just keep pushing this point home. You've got to be able to turn your chair toward the person next to you and engage them with your gifts. You've got to be able to think about relationships. And so this is very much a conversation about proximity, speaking the truth in love. That requires that you speak to someone. And you speak truth to someone. That's a challenging thing. You know how challenged you've been when, when the truth has been brought to bear on your life? Maybe I have been. It ex- When I'm put up against truth, that's an uncomfortable reality. What does it mean to speak that into someone's life in love? That's a skill set, men, that we have handily avoided in Western Christianity for a long time, making our gifts about, you know, running a strategic approach to a plan, to a thing that keeps me up and away from other people. But there's no growing people without getting next to them. Have I I beaten that horse to death? I'm beating it to death, though, because I feel like we need that as men to recognize that our calling to walk worthy of the calling of Christ means to push past our discomfort with getting next to different ty- types of people and engaging them with truth. So that's the what, the big picture. You walk in unity. You want to live out chapters 1 through 3. If you really understand chapters 1 through 3, then you will walk in unity. You will recognize that you've been empowered to make an impact on the body. Right? You we our gifts are for other people's growth. And you will recognize that that requires proximity. That requires me to focus in on proximity and getting next to other people, near other people, and and loving people the way Christ loved us. There's no escaping that. So to love Jesus is to love his people. So then he makes a move, and it's a move that makes a ton of sense to me, having said and heard and processed all of that. He's gonna kind of answer the question of what happens when I realize I don't really want to do any of that. I like the sound of chapters 1 through 3. I like the sound of blessings. I like the sound of being dead and raised again. I like the sound of all of that. I like the sound of unity. I like the sound of winning basketball games. But at the end of the day, that means that I have to get next to people. That means that I don't get to wake up in the morning and ask the question, how do I take care of myself today? That means when I get home from work my my highest priority needs to not be getting downtime for me but needs to be building into my wife and my children's lives all the way till I go to sleep and then I wake up and do it again the next day. I don't like the sound of that. You know, after 6 weeks of trying, when do I get my break? You mean I have to give up my porn habit because I, that doesn't fit into helping the whole body grow? That means I have to give up my alcohol habit because it's c- taking away my capacity to be next to people and love them well? That means I have to shift the way that I move through my world? That means I have to think about maybe selling my house because it's draining my funds that I really should be investing elsewhere? Huh. I don't think I like the sound of that at all. I think it's a really logical next step that he makes in this, in this chapter because he goes from the what to the how. And he's going to start talking about walking in holiness. These are not two separate ideas. This is not Paul just like laying up this Christian sounding thing, laying up that Christian sounding thing and kind of editing to them together. This is, a, this is a logical sequence of thoughts that he's having as he talks to real life people like you and me. So he gives us the strategy and we gave a strategy to St. Mike's basketball players. And guess what? When we gave him a plan and we gave him a strategy, we're like, come on guys, we can do this. Guess what happened? They still lost. Really bad. Because a strategy is just X's and O's until real people change inside enough, change their perspective enough, change their values enough, and challenge themselves past their internal... I mean, they're doing what they naturally do because they're naturally going to do it because that's what they are. Giving them X's and O's on a a whiteboard isn't going to change that. It's going to give them a context within to change. But the real question, the real barrier between you and me and living out this what is a question of holiness. It's an inner conversation. It's a question of what's driving me as an individual in the first place. What even drove me to chapter one and through three? Why do I want unity in the first place? If you're like me and you're really dirty honest sometimes, a lot of the times, what's, what's getting me excited about the first half of this chapter is a safe place where I can go with my family and finally feel like the church is what it should have always been for me. Guess how long that's going to last? You probably know. And so there's a fundamental shift that needs to happen inside of us, and that's why Paul goes into what's next. Walk in holiness, the how, verses 17 to 13. Verses 17 to 24, that's where he gets into uh, 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 that whole conversation. And it seems like disconnected at first, unless you put it into this broader argument and context. He starts talking about this choice you have to make. He says, choose your likeness. You're either going to be like the Gentiles, your pre-Christ self and people who aren't following Christ, or Jesus choose your likeness. And you see him use that terminology. It's really reminiscent of what he wrote if you want to cross reference to Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 11. It's almost word for word. Put off the old person, put on the new person. And the old person, if I were to summarize, if you look at the descriptive terms he uses for the old person and you just ask yourself, what's driving these things? It's all self-focus. Going after the lusts of the flesh. The driving principle of the old person is fundamentally whatever I'm consuming or doing comes back, it's about me, spotlight on me. Watch, me. watch me dunk this ball, right? Or give me the ball. It's self-focus. That's the Gentile perspective. That's the pre-Christ perspective. And that's the way I am when left to myself outside of Christ. Is it just me? So he says, instead put... So put that off, put on the image you've been made in the likeness of Christ, of of God. Put that on. The way he frames it is, though, that that's a choice. He's just saying, put it off and put it on. Fundamentally, that's a choice I have to make in any given moment. It's a a meta choice I need to make at some big point in my life, and then i got to remake it all the time to put off the, the, the self-focused perspective to put on Christ. And when you look at the Christ, the way he describes the God image in you, it's all others-focused. Look at, the, look at the adjectives, look at the way he describes it in the text, it's all others-focused stuff. Not one of those ways that he describes Christ could be interpreted as selfish. The whole motivation of Christ. And again, if you look at Colossians chapter 3, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. That's how he describes it in Colossians 3, 1 through 11. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Put off anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. All of those are self-focused. Things that I do to protect and guard and, and build my kingdom. Compassion is not self-focused, it's inherently others-focused. Kindness is inherently others-focused. Com- you, you see what I'm saying? So fundamentally, each of those terms matters, but fundamentally the idea here is put off self-focus, put on others-focused, and you'll be on the right track. Because, and that fits, because that's what you do if you're part of a team, if you're part of this body of Christ. That's the shift you've got to make, and that's why you're struggling with community. Because it's not them, no matter how jacked up these people are. You draw a circle around yourself and you recognize the issue here is me and my inability to love tough people because I want this to somehow work for me, to feel good for me. And so the shift I've got to make toward holiness, toward being Christ-like, is a shift from self to others' focus. And that's what he's getting at in verses 17 to 24. Choose your likeness. Now, 25 to 32... This is where he get, see, he keeps scoping it down, all right? You want to be a part of a team? Well, you got to recognize you're part of a team. That means proximity. That means uh, uh, gifting, proximity. And that means, you know, uh, how do you fit? What do you contribute? How do you get next to people? Now, now that means you're going to have to shift your focus entirely into, a, into a, a, an assist king rather than a dunk king. Right? That's a, it's a totally different shift in approach to every part of my life. Well, how do I do that? Specifically, well, he's going to start speaking to that, and that's what the rest of the chapter does. So, this is where Christians love to preach these verses because we love to make a checklist out of do these things, and you'll be super Christian. And if you're doing well on these things, you can feel good about yourself. But if you fail, you should probably feel bad and guilty and, you know, do your time feeling like a jerk before God will love you again. That whole ethic, ugh, you know, like, is it just me that kind of wrestles with that at times? We love these checklists in the West. But I, I want to I spin your head on this. This is not a checklist. It's like this in the Old Testament law. It's like this wherever you see these lists of behaviors. This is, each behavior matters. It's not like he's pulling them out of nowhere. Each of these particular issues, like don't lie, pretty good idea. Don't steal, pretty good idea. Right? And, and you can see how any one of those things would, would break down community. If, you, if you're struggling with stealing, it's probably not a stretch to say you're struggling with contributing to the body. You all know what case law is? Any lawyers in the room? Uh, my mom is a lawyer, and so I spent some time in college working for her, and I learned what case law was. Case law is where it's the way the legal system speaks to issues it's never seen before. Uh, you, there's some really weird stuff that happens out there, really specific, nuanced situations. And, there isn't, and there's often not a specific law that speaks to it. or a specific, And so what the, what the courts do, what the judge does, what the lawyers do is they look back on the whole history of law uh, the, as it's been executed in that society, and they find the things that correlate the most directly to that situation, and they look at what those judges Decided in those situations, and based on that, they determine as well as they can how that case law informs this situation, so they can make a good judgment in this situation. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's doing here. He, this is not a comprehensive list of if I get these things down, then I got community and I've got church. I've got Ephesians four and one. Right. This is Paul giving you some points of reference that that, yeah, absolutely, if your issue is stealing, let's just start here. If your issue is lying, let's just start here. But you know what? What if your issue is pornography? What if your issue is alcoholism? What if your issue is just being a selfish punk at the end of the day with your wife? Where does it speak to that? Well, the wife part will come up in a few weeks, and that'll be fun. But... um, you know, but where does it speak to those things? Well, he speaks to them here. Because if you look at each of the lists of things, right, what he's doing is he's not just saying, hey, stop stealing and you'll, do, you'll be a good part of the community. What does he do with the stealing? Let him who steals, steal no longer. Stop it! Then what? Let him replace it. Instead, he should work with his hands. Producing something beneficial for Who? aspects. Do not lie to one another. Why? Stop lying. Why? Because it breaks down the body. Instead, speak truth to one another. Replace the lying with something that is a benefit to the body. So the the mechanism he's introducing us to, yeah, that speaks to to my porn problem, right? Stop it. But good luck stopping it unless you replace it with something. But don't just replace it with a whack-a-mole new thing, right? I'm going to, instead of looking at porn for hours every night and working out my issues that way, I'm going to start drinking whatever, or I'm going to start exercising. Okay, that's good. That's a good step. But my, my next question to you would be, well, how does that contribute to the benefit of the people you had been robbing your passion and energy from with your porn problem. So, so you want a B? You want, you want a B plus when it comes to overcoming sin in your life? Replace it with something. Because if you don't replace it, you're just going to keep going back. But you want an A plus as far as like what's really going to to get traction in your world is replace it with something that contributes to the well-being of the body of Christ's movement in the world. Because what that does is it draws in chapters 1 through 3, the first half of this chapter, it draws in what we are for, what we are about. It draws in how the world really works. And that's what you're using to, to replace sin and move on is, is something that, 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 that's in line with the, what God made us to be and do, part of the team, part of the body. So don't just replace your sin, replace it with something that contributes to the whole. Is this all making sense? Can you see why Paul's making the moves he's moving here? This isn't random. He's making an argument, and not just a logical argument, one that actually works with the problems and the struggles and the reality of what's going on inside of you. To be holy, to be set apart, to be activated in Christ is to be like him, is to move through your world the way he does, thinking, feeling, doing what he would do. So what Paul's describing is that the team the team the team how what do i contribute to the team how do I, how has he built me and empowered me to contribute to the team and what are the barriers inside of me between where i'm at and actually living that out what's going on inside of my heart why am i resisting this and specifically all right if my issue is stealing he's given me a model for how to piece by piece pick away at the, the, the difference between where I'm at now and where I could be if I was a healthy contributor to the whole. Belief drives behavior. As I kind of wrap this up, the thing I want you to understand as we move into application for the rest of our time together is that behavior exposes belief. Behavior exposes belief. And so, if you're like me, you're seeing this unity thing and you're going to take a good crack at it like a good guy would, right? And you're going to go, 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 and you're going to try to and-one this. And I'm saying, hey, okay, if that's where you're at, go for it. Please, contribute. Find where you're, let us help you find where your gifting is and where, where you should serve. Absolutely, get in the game. But what you're going to discover, like me, no matter who you are in the room, is once you get in the game, it's going to expose your and-one tendencies it's going to expose all the garbage that cha- the second half of the chapter is speaking to. It's, going to. it's going to help you to see where you've got work to do inside. And so where I want to leave you, the idea I want to leave you with is that what spiritual growth means, what it looks like to walk with Christ is to kind of get in the game, see where you need to improve, and bring that back to the questions uh, uh, of, of what's going on inside of me. And so as you work out chapter 4, what you're going to find yourself, I think, and what I hope you find yourself doing is going back to chapters 1 through 3. Every time you hit a wall, every time you gag on chapter 4 and, and following or what it's asking you to do, it's going it's to help you recognize what you haven't grabbed yet, really, in chapters 1 through 3. So a couple questions I want to leave you to think about as you go through the rest of the book. A couple questions I want, you to help you think about, want to help you think about. What am I demanding from this person or this situation that I already have in Christ? as you get, as you work out your gifting, as you get in proximity with people, right, as, as, as you're confronted with, I really don't want to stop stealing. I really don't want to stop. I, I want to continue to protect myself through deceit. In that situation, whatever's driving you, what is it that you're demanding from a person or a situation that you're running into on the court or in life? That you already the that, that this, this sense that you're lacking something that you already have in Christ. Take that question back. Every time you gag, every time you struggle, every time you hit a wall, take it back to chapters one through three. Next question, what would I have to believe to be able to come to this person or situation with unconditional love, doing what's eternally best for them? Building into them, building into the team, building into that individual, exercising my gifting. If I'm struggling with that, what would I have to believe truly to be able to do that with genuinely no conditions? All of the answers to that question are in chapters 1 through 3. 1 through 3 pushes us, informs us, empowers us for 4 through 6. 4 through 6 drives us right back to 1 through 3 every time we struggle.